You're listening to the Access Success Podcast, produced by Access U, a division of Access Advertising and Public Relations. Hey, let's do something big. I'm your host, Rachel Schneider. Welcome to the Access Success Podcast, where we highlight important topics focused on education in every form it takes. Those who know me professionally are aware that before I started working here at Access U, I was a journalist, and that background has helped me tremendously in my career now in marketing and public relations. So today on the show, a fellow former TV news reporter and Emmy-nominated journalist, Sophia Paraconi, is joining the show to discuss our biggest takeaways from working in broadcasting and what other public relations professionals, especially those in media relations, can learn from these experiences. Sophia is also now working on the dark side, as we've called it, of the news world. She's the assistant director of digital and social media for Pace University in New York, the Lubin School of Business. Sophia, welcome to the Access Success Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm glad we got to connect virtually. And this is actually the first time that we've been able to talk since we both left news. So how have you been? What's the transition been like for you? I've been great. Honestly, I feel like once I left news, this whole world opened up that I didn't know I like existed. Like I'm so happy. I feel like I have time to breathe in my life. I feel like I have a life, which I think <laughs> is the big thing. I'm sure you can relate. Like yes. having outside of work. So it's been amazing. I love my team. They've made the transition great because obviously, again, as I'm sure you can relate, leaving a job that was also your identity is really hard. Um, But they have been so welcoming and they helped with the transition a lot. So it's like, I, I don't have enough good things to say about it, honestly. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, I echo a lot of those same feelings. And it was so hard to leave that profession because, you know, like you said, it becomes so much of your identity is wrapped into being a journalist and, you know, your social media presence. That's how all of your friends talk about you and identify you when you're meeting people. So it is such a new world. But, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough, too, that I landed at such an amazing place with a great team that's been really supportive of what I can bring to the table and um, what we both can bring to the table as just journalists hopping into this world and being able to advise people on some of the things that we may know from our experiences that they are not as aware of. Um, And we both met while we were working at our first news market in Toledo, Ohio. For people who don't know, could you just tell us how you got your start in journalism and did you always want to be a reporter? Yeah. So like many reporters, this is something I wanted to do my whole life. Well, since I was 12 years old, like I remember being 12 and just one day being like, this is what I want to do with my life. I always loved watching news. I'm also, or when I was younger, I was very interested in like knowing what was going on all the time. I was that person on the playground, like in fifth grade, seeing what my peers knew about what was going on in the world, which obviously wasn't a lot because what fifth grader needs to know anything about going on in the world. So It was definitely something I always wanted to do. So after high school, I came to New York City for the first, well, not my first time in New York City, but my first time living here. I went to Pace University. They didn't have a journalism major. So I majored in communications and figured I would just get all of my experience interning around the city. Obviously, pretty much every newsroom is based here. So I 
hit pretty much all of them except for NBC. I did the local stations and graduated, got my offer from Toledo. I had never been before. And now Toledo is such a big part of my life. I loved my time in Toledo, but my boyfriend's from Toledo. So I'm there every month. Um, We live in New York together now, but he has to go back a lot. So first market out of news, you think, or in news, you think I'll be here for two years and then I'm out. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in Toledo more than I'm back home in California. So yeah, long, long story short. Yes. I've always wanted to be a TV news reporter and I did it at one point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then from Toledo, you signed with a station in Las Vegas and I, I didn't talk to you much while you were in that market either. So I'm curious to know what was that like covering such a big city and how was it different to, you know, your first market and maybe how was your professional life different? When did you start thinking that maybe you wanted to pivot a little bit in your career? So obviously Toledo and Las Vegas in terms of market size, very different. I mean, Toledo is not necessarily small. It's market 80. So I guess that's midsize. I don't know anymore. Yeah, yeah. But Vegas is a top 40, I think. So obviously the pace is different. In Toledo, I was in one show a night. We had a 30-minute newscast at six o'clock and that was it. But in Vegas, we had a a four, a five, and a six. And there's also a one o'clock. So it was, I was expected to be in the four, five, and six, but sometimes the one o'clock. So it was definitely a lot more. Um, There's a lot more pressure from management. Um, But I will say Toledo, we had some pretty big events happen every now and then you know, like the city council situation with the FBI. Um, There were unfortunately quite a few big shootings. You know, we had two Toledo police officers killed within six months of each other, which was nuts. But Vegas, it's like every day there's something crazy happening. Um, So it was definitely different in the sense that, okay, this this is it felt more real, if that makes sense. Obviously, everything happened in Toledo, real tragic. But in Vegas, when it happens every day, it's sort of like, okay, it's hard to turn it off when you go to a crime scene because yesterday you were at another crime scene and it really like it, it builds on you, you know, like it, 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 it's really sad. Yeah. Uh, But I knew that I was looking to get out of news probably within my first three months of being in Vegas. I was there for eight months total, but probably by month two or three, I was just like, this is not what I dreamed of. Like, this is not the job I always wanted. Um, Another thing different from Toledo and Vegas, again, could be because of the market sizes, there's a certain pressure from management that I personally didn't get in Toledo. And not that I can't handle pressure, but in Vegas, it you you know you're replaceable. Um, the, it's one of those things where so many people want to be in your position. So many people want to work in Vegas. Like, we don't need you. They didn't straight up say that. But I definitely felt like that at times where... I mean, I'm sure my job was never on the line, but there were moments where I felt like, oh my God, they're going to fire me because I have brought one bad pitch to the table. So 
definitely um, a little different in terms of pressure, which that's kind of where I was like, life's too short. Life's too short to be like this all the time. Well, and for people who haven't worked in news, um, like we were MMJs in Toledo. So that word means multimedia journalists. And that's just a one man band. You know, you go around and it's you in your car with your camera equipment um, going out and talking to people or going to breaking news. Was that the situation for you in Vegas also? Or were you able to be paired with a photographer? So unless there was something crazy happening, I was an MMJ, which was Honestly, a lot of the times I can think of, there was one week where we had two major news stories happen in a week where I was with the photographer the whole, that whole week, but I was typically an MMJ. Obviously in Vegas, they don't let you do live shots alone, which is great. In Toledo, I did my my own live shots. Um, But in Vegas, I was always with the photog for live shots. But other than that, I was pretty much in an MMJ. Yeah. So for, again, for people outside the news industry, what does your day-to-day look like working as an MMJ, especially in that market where you've got a lot of ground to cover? Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically you go in every morning, you have your pitch, whatever, where they send you out to a scene and it's you, like, I'm o- I'm also only 5'7". So sometimes <laughs> I would go to scenes and just think there's nothing stopping a, a grown man from picking me up and throwing me in his car. Like if he really wanted to, which is scary, <laughs> but so I would go out, you know, shoot the video, shoot the interviews. So, you know, you got your camera here. So you're looking at the screen on the camera and then you've got the person you're interviewing. So you're holding the mic. So you've got, you're making sure your shot looks good. You're making sure you're also making eye contact with your, your person you're interviewing. Cause you don't want to be rude. And then you're also making sure that everything around you is like safe and fine and calm. So you, once you get that, you get your B-roll, your your video footage, and then I would sit in my car, my work car, because once you were out for the day at, in Vegas, you're pretty much expected to stay out and edit in this in the field, um, especially since I was in the four, five, and six o'clock shows. I was turning two to three packages a day, which is... Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a lot. a lot. For people not in news, that is a lot. Um, so I would honestly, after I'd gather all my uh, video and my interviews, I would drive to where I would go live and then just sit there and write my script and then edit everything together. And that way I could just be there. Like when it comes time for the live shot, I would typically be sending my, um, my story back to the station so they can put it on air. I would send it to them with like five minutes to spare because I was so pressed for time every day. And then I would just like roll out of the car and stand there and be live. I There are probably so many shots of me in Vegas looking greasy and oily because I didn't have time to touch up my makeup, which is fine. I don't care. But but there is no time to breathe, it feels like, or it felt like. So <laughs> it was yeah. a lot. Well, what was your deadline like? You said you were doing two to three packages, which are stories, you know, a minute, 30 second stories um, per day. So so two or three of those. And then your first show started at four. So would you have to be live at four? I was, yeah. They usually wanted me to oh, leave wow. the newscast, which wasn't anything to do with me personally. It was because when it came time to pitching stories, no one else had pitched a lead story yet. Like 
their pitches would be approved and they wouldn't be considered lead stories. So then it's like, okay, Sophia, come up with something that's a lead. And that's also a lot of pressure every single day. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes things aren't happening. Um, But yeah, so my deadline, if I was live at four, I would probably need to send my package to them by 340, 345 at the latest. Um, And I was, I would cut it close all the time. I mean, there were times where it's 357 and I hear the producer say, I don't have your package. And I'm like, I sent it 10 minutes ago, (laughs) but you know technology is crazy. So very tight deadlines, which now is, is not really a thing. It's <laughs> wonderful for me. Yeah. And that leads me into, you know, the next part of being a reporter nowadays, because it's a challenge enough to get something on air when you have that much content to produce in such little time. But you're also expected to keep up with a social media presence and be posting to social and posting things that your station can retweet. So keeping up with all of that while meeting deadline is such a challenge, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, and that was just for, so like 357 or I would have to be ready to be live by like 3.55. But then, you know, once I'm done with that four o'clock live shot, I now need to think about my five o'clock story, which is the same story, just completely rewritten. And so now I have like 40 minutes to finish that whole story, which, you know, then same thing. I'd roll on the air at like five o'clock, which means package needs to be in 15 minutes ago. And it was just nonstop one after the other. And then you mentioned social media that is a whole other thing. And then you have to write your web article and you just want to go home. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many pieces to put together and I applaud you for working, you know, two or three stories a day in Vegas. I don't even know if I would have been able to swing that and come every day with a pitch. That would be so much pressure. Um, And just the day-to-day as a reporter too, even when you're off the clock, you're still working, you know, you're still scrolling around social media or talking to people, trying to come up with story ideas and learn your market, especially when you're not from that area. That's another learning curve. Yeah. And, you know, I was only there for eight months, like I said, so did I ever really learn the market? I don't know, but you're right. I mean, on the weekends, you know, so you wrap up your Friday, you're home by seven o'clock, and then you spend your weekend looking for what's your story going to be for Monday? Because if they're expecting you to be the lead every night, you better have a good story. So it was um, it was definitely really tough um, mentally. I feel like the person I was for those eight months, I don't even know her, which is good that I, I don't know her anymore. <laughs> But yeah, you you don't get any time. You're not you're never off. Plus, if something crazy happens, you know, you might get called in on a Saturday, even though you just worked 12 hours on Friday. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were some of the biggest differences you noticed, especially in pace? Because you're still working in social media. So you do a lot with media. You're still a storyteller. But what were just some of the big changes you noticed in your role now and in the corporate world versus the pace of a newsroom? So it's obviously much slower, but I kind of anticipated anything outside of news is going to be way slower. Yeah. But I'm But on top of that, I'm in higher education. I'm working in higher education. So take slow and then make it 10 times slower. So 
you know, during the summers, like I'm still working, but no one's on campus. If I need to reach out to a professor to maybe contribute to a news piece, like I better reach out three months in advance, which (laughs) is fine. Like, you know, they're busy too, but it's definitely slow. I, before taking this role, I was probably a little too impatient of a person. I will say this role has made me very patient, which is good just because patience is a virtue, (laughs) Um, but it's, it's slow, but it's healthy. And I think that's the most important thing is I feel healthy mentally, physically. I have a life outside of work and I work with the most incredible team. There's four of us on our team and we all understand that we are working to live, not living to work. So it's it's definitely slow, but I appreciate it now. Yeah, I experienced some similar just having to slow my brain down, you know, working in a different environment where you do have a lot of people coming together with their different pieces of the puzzle and not everything has to be done within an hour, you know, to meet the deadline. Some projects are going to take weeks or months to put together and a lot of different meetings. And I found myself also becoming like a little impatient and just asking a lot, a lot of questions so that we could just get to the point. And now looking back at that, I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, I'm a totally different, I have a different thinking cap when it comes to collaborating on projects. I also found that from being an MMJ, you're so used to working alone. So then collaborating with a team and going into all these meetings is, you know, another big change that took some getting used to. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about the fact that we did pretty much work alone. Like we were obviously contributing to a bigger newscast, but we were essentially working by ourselves. So, I mean, I always get worried when I have to rely on other people for parts of a project, which now makes sense because I'm so used to having everything I need done by me. Now I just put it together for this big project. And sometimes I do need to remind myself, like, you know, other people are working on other projects as well. It's not the end of the world. If this doesn't get done in an hour, our deadline is next month. So (laughs) it's, uh, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about the fact that we were essentially solo, you know? Yeah. Well, and in that vein, how did being a reporter help you in the role that you have now? Because there are so many transferable skills. And as we see more people leaving the broadcast news industry and coming into public relations roles or social media, I think we've just proven how valuable those skills are. Yeah. And when I was leaving news, I had the concern that a lot of people who are leaving news have, and that is, are my skills transferable? And 100% they are. Even this time last year, I never would have thought that my new skills would help me where I am today. So um, we started a podcast or I started a podcast for our team, Um, obviously interviewing skills. That's a big one writing skills. We were writing our own scripts every single day. I now do copywriting essentially. So like captions, trying to come up with creative captions for different platforms. I think that creative writing skill that we had as news reporters definitely helps, you know, with captions and copywriting. And then I think the big one, which my favorite part of news was always the editing. I loved just, you know, 
putting together a story because we we are we were and we still are storytellers um so before i entered this role my team would often hire third party vendors for video creation now they've got it in house like i've got mm-hmm. my camera i have access to premiere so i'll just you know i've i've done six videos now since being here and that those are six videos they would have had to pay for you know for an outside party to do it. So um, editing skills are huge. I think video editing is something that to reporters might seem so minuscule because you do it every single day, but having those editing skills truly, I mean, who knows how to edit just on the whim, but we do. So I think those are definitely the big skills that I brought with me. Um, And then just bringing that fresh, perspective. Like this is my first time working in higher education, but I feel like I brought this perspective that from the outside world that maybe no one else on my team had because part of our job being a reporter is reaching a target audience or demographic. You know, like they would always say 18 to 34 year old women are watching the newscast. So you would try to cater your stories towards that demographic at times. Now it's, we're targeting seniors in high school who are maybe looking to go to college. We're targeting current students to try to build that community. So I really know how to tap into a certain audience. And that's something I think I got from reporting. And I'm sure you've been able to share that knowledge also with your team and just having that background has been helpful for them to better understand the media. Yeah. So I... I feel like my team is really great in the sense that they consume news and media responsibly, which is great. Uh, But I feel like I've shown them this perspective to news that a viewer wouldn't typically see. So they see a minute and 30 seconds of a story per reporter and whatever they watch it. Maybe they think, oh, that took two minutes to create. They don't know that that was five hours long and the reporter didn't have a lunch break. The reporter hasn't used the bathroom since 8 a.m. Like they don't know that. But now I like tell my team all the time, like, I can't believe we get to take a full hour lunch break. This is something <laughs> I never had before, you know? What so a dream. I, I know. <laughs> the fact that I can literally drink as much water as possible and now I can go to the bathroom, which <laughs> might be TMI, but like these are real things. Yeah. Uh, so I've kind of, I think I've helped them appreciate corporate life a little better. Um, You know, they're used to having every single holiday off. When MLK Junior Day just happened earlier in January, I was so excited. I was like, we get this day off? I can't wait. And they're just thinking, yeah, we get it off every year. So I'm kind of, I guess, putting corporate life in a better perspective for them making them realize like, hey, this isn't normal for everyone who has a job. Like I went two and a half, almost three years without any of this stuff. We should really be appreciative that we get these things. Like they might just be things that come with the job to you. But to me, these are things that like are truly a dream. So I think I've I've given them just a refreshing perspective on what maybe they thought was just a job, if that makes sense. 
Oh, completely. And then in terms of storytelling and pitching to media or when you're sharing stories on social, I think that one of the greatest gifts and skills and takeaways that I had from the industry was being able to identify what stories were newsworthy and what was going to grab attention versus which ones probably aren't or how to pitch a reporter and what times of the day that they're going to be looking for stories. That seemed to be you know, a, a really good skill to have versus people who have never worked in news, maybe don't have that same perspective. Totally. And my boss and I were just talking about that this morning. Um, we had a conference call this morning with the university relations team. So typically they're the ones that are pitching to reporters and stuff. They do come to us for, um, you know, they'll ask us about a certain professor and if they can contribute to a piece. And then we go and ask that professor but this morning, my boss was talking about an event that might be taking place and how someone in the business school wants to invite reporters and media to this event. And I was just thinking to myself, like, this isn't newsworthy. Like, even on a slow day, an event happening on a college campus probably isn't going to bring in a reporter. And obviously, our university relations team was like, yeah, that's probably not going to make the news, but thanks for letting us know. So there's definitely, I think I've helped them with that as well. Just anytime there's an event, if there's any question as to if we should let the media know if there needs to be a press release, I'm usually the one that can say, yeah, probably not going to happen. Let's <laughs> not even waste our time doing a press release. I can tell you it's it's just not a story and that's okay. It's higher education. It's nothing too hot, um, but it's definitely, I think that's helped them a little bit. Yeah. Well, and in terms of still being a storyteller and being able to put those pieces together and, and be your own video crew, um, one of the things that my agency has noticed is, or one of the things we've been able to help with is just sending visuals when we do send a release, sending, you know, B-roll with possible. So even if we don't expect reporters to come cover an event, we can still send them the release afterward. And I've got some B-roll edited, ready to go because I know how busy a producer and a reporter is. They may not have time to come out, but if you just send that right before, you know, four o'clock and say, hey, this happened today, here's this video of, you know, our residents at this assisted living facility playing bowling with some high school kids who came on the campus and are volunteering, you know, it's it's cute video or it's something that would be great visuals. And then you we can just chop that up and send it along so it makes a better pitch. That is really good idea and something like I didn't even think of. So I'm happy to hear that. And oh, I yeah. ask my boss if we do that because we should start. Yeah. I think that working in news, it just gives you perspective of like, okay, how can we make our pitches better in ways that will make a newsroom's life easier? Like what are going to, you know, if I just write out the script and throw in some B-roll, throw in some photos, then I know that a digital producer might be able to, to make it into a quick web story. So it's things like that, that I feel like have been really helpful transitioning over and just being able to communicate with my clients and let them know, hey, if you want to reach reporters, this is the lifestyle they have. This is their day to day. So they don't have time to grab, you know, a two hour lunch with you on a Tuesday. If you want to go over a story or pitch them, maybe 
tag them in your social media posts and send them an email letting them know that you can get them photos and video to help their pitches in the newsroom. No, I mean, and having been on the other side of that, like to someone that might seem like nothing, like, oh, I'm just doing my job of sending off this B-roll, setting them a little a little tidbit, but I can just tell you and anyone listening, like as a reporter, that would change my whole day. That would make my life so easy. Completely. Yeah. And so for other media relations professionals or social media professionals who haven't worked in a newsroom, what are some other takeaways or words of advice that maybe you would have for them, especially when, you know, churning out that timely content for social? Um, I think the biggest thing is when something's happening, I think it helps to find a story or find a hook in the event that's happening, if that makes sense. So just thinking in terms of higher education, because that's kind of where my brain is most of the time now, if there's an event happening that might seem like not that big of a deal, try to find something in that event that would bring people in or get their attention. Like maybe you're at, I don't know, they're launching a new department at a university. Find someone who like this really means something to them. Maybe their late parent was a professor and taught this, you know, certain class or had a passion for the certain industry. And now they're bringing it into this new university or something like that. Like find those stories that maybe pull on the heartstrings a little bit. I feel like that kind of content always does well on social media. But if that's not an option, just find a story, find a character, I think is what I'm trying to say. Find someone you can kind of center your story around or your social media post around and then build off of that, like a news story, you know, like a package. You you kind of have that focus, that character, and then you can kind of build out around that. I think that works in any industry. Um, You know, people like reading about other people or you know when you're reading a book you you like a book with a lot of characters or you there's a protagonist you know so find someone for your audience to kind of root for i completely agree i tell my clients all the time that stories are about people and what makes a newsworthy story is how many people does this affect. So if you find something heartwarming that everybody can find, you know, relatable or they can root for that character, that's going to make all the difference. Or if your organization is about to offer a new service that could help a lot of people in a community that was previously underserved and maybe didn't have financial planning services available to them or didn't have, you know, a community college, that's going to be your hook is here from those people. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And I mean, every week on our social platforms, we highlight like a student success story, or we just highlight a student that's doing something. And whenever I'm looking for students to highlight, you know, I'm not looking for just a student who shows up to class, does their job or does their homework or whatever, goes to their internship, which was me as a student. I will say I was not very (laughs) involved, Um, but I am looking for those students who are involved maybe they're the president of a club maybe you know they they're they've start they're starting their own business outside of work which we actually have a lot of which is great so it's all about just finding something that i guess makes people think or makes like finding someone that isn't typical if that makes sense i don't want to like sound mean saying you know find someone that's not typical but 
find those stories because those nuggets exist everywhere. I think you just have to want to find it and you have to ask questions, which again, goes back to being a reporter, asking all those questions, but people have interesting things to their lives beyond what you see them doing. 100%. Yeah. And coming from, you know, a reporter who's also had her slow news days, <laughs> anything can be a story. So as long as you frame it correctly, and maybe you add some visuals in there, you're able to make those people available. I think that's been, you know, a huge part of this too, is whenever a client wants us to send out a pitch, I always ask them, okay, what days are you and this character available then? If I'm going to send out this release, we might get a phone call in the next five minutes. Can you be available that morning to talk to a reporter so that we can get the most out of this opportunity? Yeah, no, totally. Because there is nothing worse than being a reporter, getting a press release, calling on it, and then someone saying, sorry, not today. So yeah, really good you do that. I don't think we touched too much yet on crisis communications, and I know that might not totally, you know, be be all in your ballpark in your new position right now, but I'm sure it helps when you're planning social media content, scrolling through, looking at the comments, and being able to identify what needs attention from leadership and what warrants a response. Um, you know, working in, in public relations now when we take on crisis clients, um, having to be quick on your feet <laughs> like a reporter does is important, but all also having the social media um, personnel available to be able to monitor what's going on online is huge. I think one, us being former news reporters and obviously you working for an agency now, like crisis communication is our thing. We know how to get somewhere and in 30 seconds convey the information that just happened. Like that is crisis communication. Um, in terms of social media, being that person to kind of oversee everything, and I can send messages to um, like the flagship Pace University accounts about something I see on social media, I think that's really helpful for them. But also, before I post anything on our social accounts, I think, could this cause a crisis? Typically, no, because it's higher education. It's not that heavy. It's never that deep. Um, but I always do think about the comments and how people could receive it. And for social media managers, I feel like one bad comment feels like a crisis. It feels like the end of the world. So knowing what to post, I guess, and when to post it is definitely huge And thinking about the comments. And I think if I didn't have that news reporter experience, I would feel more free to kind of post stuff to our account. But since I've been a news reporter who has had many negative comments on something I've posted, like I think about that stuff. I think about how other people could receive it, keeping keeping track on everything, making sure everything's okay, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Running our own social media pages and seeing how people would react to stories on, you know, our outlets, main Facebook page or Twitter has been helpful, right? Because after telling so many stories, you get to see how they're received. What would you say to hiring managers who might be on the fence or considering hiring a journalist with so many flooding into that career change right now? I would say, honestly, I don't want to say hire anyone blindly, like obviously interview them, but if you have the opportunity to hire a journalist or a former TV news reporter, do it. Even if you look at their resume and you think, how can any of this translate? 
I promise you, you won't find anyone who works as hard ever in your life. Like we are so used to one, so much pressure to being a perfectionist because you get one shot in a minute and 30 seconds to have your story on TV and it needs to be factually correct. Like it has to be, we're, we're in journalism or news reporters, like it has to be correct. Um, so you'll, you're hiring someone that can work under pressure, but also get everything right. And they will, if you ask for a hundred percent, they'll give you 200%. They have the writing skills. They have the editing skills. They're creative and they know how to tell a story, which I don't care what industry you're in. Storytelling is important and it's going to come in handy somewhere. Even if you give a presentation on like Wall Street or something, you have to make it interesting because no one's going to pay attention if it's boring. So hire a journalist, a TV news reporter. Your business will be better because of it. And on the social media side leading into that, we've seen such a push for short form and long form video. So what is the benefit of having somebody who can not just be a storyteller, but is also versed in shooting and editing video for platforms like TikTok and Meta? So we're, we are used to shooting. I mean, a minute and 30 seconds isn't very long. So And I personally have been in situations where my a minute and 30 seconds package, my story could be longer and trust me, it could be shorter. Um, But so in terms of long form, I think news reporters really know, like I've been saying it this whole time, they know how to tell a story. They know how to, if you want a five minute video on carrots, they can make it happen. (laughs) They'll do it. (laughs) They will because they've had no choice but to do it before. They've had no choice but to pull something out of nothing. Um, And then going to like short form stuff like TikTok, you have, I think three minutes is the maximum on, on TikTok, but most people are probably doing like 60 seconds. You have 60 seconds for, to draw someone in and keep them. And again, a news reporter knows how to do that. They know how to lead with a hook, which I mean, I don't know about you when I'm scrolling through TikTok, though, I'm not watching something that starts boring. And a news mm-hmm. reporter knows how to start something quick and interesting. So I I think whether it's long form or short form video or content or anything, journalists know how to grab someone's attention and not in a clickbaity way. If you're a news reporter and you're in a newsroom, that's great and healthy and you love it. Awesome. I love that for you. But also to anyone that is in this industry and isn't sure how they feel about it, just know like it gets so much better. Honestly, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to leave news. I don't want to like bash anyone for having their job, especially if they love it. But I personally didn't want to spend every year, every two years bouncing around newsrooms until I found the rare good newsroom. So you're thinking about it, just do it. Your skills are so transferable and life is so much better when you actually have a life outside of work. It's crazy. One of my last questions was, since this is called the Access Success Podcast, would you mind sharing a recent success story for you personally or professionally? Yeah. So Personally, I I like to set like small goals for myself. Like, you know, people have their New Year's resolutions, which 
that's great. I know I can't keep up a resolution for a whole year. Mm -hmm. So I do monthly resolutions. So one of my smaller like recent successes is that I've been on this like no added sugar diet, which like I can eat anything with like natural sugar on it, but I'm not letting myself eat anything with added sugar. So it's been almost a month of that. And so that's like one of my biggest success stories right now. However, probably the more important one is I enrolled in graduate school to get my master's degree, which I've been telling so many people I'm going to get my master's degree that I like realized I actually have to do it because so many people, I told so many people, I think I'm going to get my master's degree. So just enrolled to get my master's, yeah, for social media and mobile marketing. So it ties into what I'm doing. So I think, you know, the fact that I did it and enrolled is like a success for me because like I said, I wasn't sure I was going to do it until I started telling so many people I was going to do it. Congratulations. You know, it's weird being back at school, like the same place I work and like where I graduated from before four years ago. So it's weird, but, you know, I like school. Yeah. Well, and that's such a nice homecoming too, since that's your alma mater being able to go back and now work there, but also it just comes so full circle. That's great. Well, Sophia, thanks so much for being able to hop on with us and talk more about what you've been up to. Congrats again on pursuing your master's. I can't wait to see what you do next. And for people who want to listen to your podcast and learn more about Pace University's Lubin School of Business, where can they find you guys? Yes. So the Lubin Link is our podcast. It's a monthly podcast and we interview Um, some alumni. So we have, even though we were business school, we obviously have alumni in various different industries, the beauty industry, social media, a lot of folks in taxation, public accounting. So you can find us wherever you stream your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're called The Lubin Link. Awesome. Great. Well, and we have clients in higher education too. We love to spread the knowledge for them. So if you've been thinking about starting your own podcast and you're listening today, check out Sophia's podcast, The Lubin Link, um, and that will probably help you in identifying your students' stories and helping them, um, you know, highlight those stories for your local media as well. Thank you. Thanks, Sophia. And thanks for everybody listening to the Access Success podcast today. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Access Success podcast produced by AccessU, a division of Access Advertising and Public Relations. Find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram to keep up with what the world of education needs to hear at AccessU Agency and connect with us at AccessU.com. Let's do something big.